Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here to worship with us today. Uh, can we just give Jake, uh, Jake a hand? Jake stepped in this, this morning for, uh, for Jordan. Yeah, you too, Chandler. You too. And Kara and Joel and everybody else. Anyways, it's always nice. Uh, Jordan and his family are uh, on a little vacay today, and Jake uh, always does a fantastic job leading us in worship. Uh, a couple of sort of housekeeping things I wanted to mention before we uh, get into our, our message and our text today. So um, as you're noticing, um, the fall, the start of a new semester, tends to be a time when uh, a lot of people are returning to church. Our services get more full. Along with services getting more full, classrooms are more full, parking lot is more full. All of the stuff that goes with the, the, the more people uh, happens. And fall, for whatever reason, really more so than even first of the year um, and even right before Easter, the fall tends to be... Um, just a, a time of a lot of growth. Um, and so we'll see more people in our church over the next four to six weeks than probably any other time. And so some ways that you can help us out and help us sort of accommodate um, a, a lot of people. Uh, one is that if you get here and you're one of the earlier ones to church, uh, you could help us by um, sitting more to the middle of your, of your row. Um, sometimes, I know we all like to get here early to get our aisle seat, right? But when you do that, then people that come in have a hard time crawling over and, and, and uh, getting, to, getting to other seats. So that's just a simple thing, if you don't mind kind of scooting to the middle. Um, also, uh, our first two services tend to fill up uh, more quickly. And so if you need a little elbow room, I'm just throwing it out there, our third service typically has a little more space. And so if you can work that into your schedule, you can sleep in a little bit longer, wake up at the crack of noon, still make it to church. Uh, that, that later service typically, typically has a little bit more, a little bit more space in it. A um, couple other things I wanted to mention. So if you are dropping off or picking up kids, you, you'll hear us periodically say, hey, if one parent could drop off and pick up, that'll help with the congestion in the kids' uh, hallways. Also, one thing we've noticed is that uh, sometimes this area right over here, right in front of the kid's desk, tends to be just crazy congested. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we have classes that'll meet, like we have Discover the Vista going on right now in one of those classrooms over there. Uh, kid, uh, parents checking kids in for the first time. Restrooms, of course, are right over there. So it just tends to be a place where people congregate. Um, one thing that could help is if you are uh, just over there hanging out and talking with your, your friends, we built a really big commons area right out here. And so if you could just kind of move that conversation over to this area, that would help. Uh, we don't want to, you know, we, we love community and we, we love, you know, talking to friends, but talking over there just makes it even more crazy. And so um, having just that hangout time right out, right out here would be better. Um, and then finally, parking. I mentioned this last week. Parking can be absolutely crazy. Um, and so we have parking people out there in bright yellow shirts. Um, they're there to help. Um, they're pr I promise they're not trying to make your life harder. Um, and they are out there whether it's a thousand degrees outside or, or, or zero. And so just being grateful for them. But um, also I mentioned um, you can park in the A-plus parking lot over there. Uh, the family that owns A-plus goes here. They're, they're like, use our parking lot. That's great. Um, and also I mentioned last week the field. We mowed it down really, really short because the last thing we need is another grass fire. But we mowed it down. If, you're, if you've got a truck or an SUV and you don't mind, you could always park in that field right over here. Um, and just being willing to, again, park a little further away and leave some closer spots for other people will be um, a small way you could serve and a small way you could help with the parking issue. And so, um, again, thank you all for just being flexible. And we love, these are good problems to have, right? Good problems to have. More people, oh no, what are we going to do? That's a really good problem for a church. And so we're grateful for that. Um, just kind of helping us navigate some of that would be, would be awesome, all right? 
Uh, if you're joining us today for the first time, you're actually joining us um, at the end of a series that we have been in all summer. All summer, we've been in a series called A Shared Gospel. And essentially, it's been a character study each week. We are looking at some different characters, specifically uh, friends and ministry partners of the Apostle Paul. Okay? Most of us are familiar with Paul. Uh, Paul wrote a lot of books of the Bible in the New Testament. He, um, he, he is sort of uh, known as the guy who took the gospel to the Gentiles, planted a lot of churches. Um, so we're all somewhat familiar with Paul. He gets a lot of the credit for that. But really the big idea of the series is that Paul never did anything on his own. Every place he went, every missionary journey he took, every church he planted, he never did it by himself. He always surrounded himself with a lot of other people and their gifts and and, and things that God had them do were very important. They were integral to what Paul was able to do. And so each week we've been talking about some different people that helped Paul do his ministry. And in a lot of ways, we, we, this is important because it's the way it ought to work in the church, right? Um, this is not an individual endeavor. The mission that God has called us to is not an individual endeavor. It is, it is a group activity, like it is a collective endeavor to build the kingdom of God and make disciples. So hopefully it's been like a picture of like, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to work in the church. And today's uh, person that we're going to look at, again, kind of putting a bow on the series, is, is no different. Um, and so we're going to look at a guy named Titus. Uh, this, this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, we, we hear and, and, and see a lot about Titus in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians. So if you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians, we're going to look at a number of places that he has mentioned in 2 Corinthians, and then we will look briefly at a few verses at, uh, in, in Titus, the, the letter that Paul wrote to Titus. Okay? Uh, while you're turning there, uh, something else we've been doing is each week through the series is we've been highlighting different people in our church, different Uh, leaders, if you will, that help us do the work of ministry here. So there's a lot of, a lot of volunteers and a lot of leaders that, that do things that, again, they, they just help us be the church, and we've just kind of been talking about them. I thought a, a great way to wrap the series up today would be to uh, highlight our staff and our elders, okay? Our staff and our elders. Some of you know many of our staff. You may see some faces up here you do not know. Um, I get the privilege of working with some really great people. And I'm not just saying that because they're all here and like listening to me. Um, they are really uh, unbelievable people. They, they love the Lord Jesus. They love this church. They sacrifice a lot. Um, obviously, a lot of times you see what goes on on Sundays, but uh, that is, that is a, a part of, of what uh, the, the bigger picture And uh, I, I love, I mean, the team that I get to work with, they are really, really um, just unbelievable unbelievable people. Um, I get a lot of times just because of the role or the title of lead pastor, and I work with a lot of uh, church planters and in younger churches that often want to know, like, what's the, what's the secret sauce, right? Like, what's the, what's the formula for, 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 for building and growing a church? And they'll talk about, like, we started with, like, 12, 15 people in a home, and now we're a larger church. And they'll often want to ask me, again, what's the, kind of what's the secret? And I've never, I've never said anything other than I don't, there is no secret. Like, I don't have a secret. Uh, there's no secret sauce. There's no magic formula. Like, I always say, pray a lot. Uh, preach about Jesus. Sing about Jesus. Try to get people involved in community and surround yourself with the right people. Surround yourself with the right people. That has as much to do with, with anything that's happened here. Um, I mean, obviously, it's, it's ultimately God, but the, the people that, that, uh, that have been here and a part of the team ministering and serving... 
they really are unbelievable. Um, I, I tell people all the time, the, the analogy I've used before is I'm a, I'm a turtle on a fence post. Y'all ever hear that analogy? Turtle on a fence post? If you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had help getting there, right? That's, that's me. Like I'm, I'm literally, I'm a turtle on a fence post. Over the years, God has brought a lot of unbelievable people that I've gotten to, to serve and work with. And this team is really great. So could we give our staff and elders a hand this morning? I'm really, really grateful for, for each and every one of them. Uh, this morning we're looking at Titus, and, and like I said, I, I was really going through and reading some verses this week about Titus, trying to refresh uh, my memory. Uh, really what I was trying to find is like, what's the big idea? What is going to be the big idea of looking at the life of Titus? And, and what I kept seeing as I, as I read through the verses about Titus is a lot of the things about Titus were, we've actually kind of already talked about when we studied other characters earlier this summer. Um, and so, for example, Titus was a Gentile. Both of his parents were Gentiles. He was an outsider. Well, that's a lot like Luke. We talked about Luke and, and how Luke was a Gentile and, and an outsider. Um, Titus was very much the same. He was most likely converted uh, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Um, in fact, one thing we see is that um, Titus being a Gentile, when they were in uh, some of the churches in Galatia, uh, a lot of the Jewish leaders, they were still hung up on the idea that before you can become a Christian, you, you need to become Jewish first. You need to obey the Jewish law. You need to be circumcised. Everything that goes along with Jewish custom and law, you got to become that before you can become a believer. And, and in Galatians, we see that they wanted Titus, because he was a Gentile, to be circumcised, and Paul refused. Paul's like, no, because salvation, he knew that if, he, if, if every single person that came with him, like Timothy, if he made sure they were circumcised first, uh, then salvation would become not about faith in Jesus, but about faith in Jesus plus some other stuff. So Titus kind of becomes this example of the fact that faith, that being a Christian is about faith in Jesus and, and nothing else. He was a Gentile. He was an outsider, much like Luke. He was young. He was referred to, we're going to read in a little bit, as my son or my child in the faith. That sounds a lot like, like Timothy. We looked at Timothy earlier this summer. We're going to see that he was an encourager who refreshed the spirit of Paul on numerous occasions. Well, well, that sounds a lot like Barnabas. Remember earlier this summer in June, we looked, at, we looked at Barnabas, and he was, again, a guy that brought a lot of comfort and encouragement. We're going to see that Titus was trustworthy. Paul sent him as a delegate to Corinth, left him there. He, he, he left him in Crete to pastor and shepherd and build up the church. He trusted him. Well, that sounds a lot like what happened with Priscilla and Aquila. We looked at Priscilla and Aquila several weeks back as well. We're going to see Titus, he was, he was courageous, he was faithful when it wasn't easy. That sounds a lot like Ananias, the very first character we looked at way back in June. We're going to see that he was a servant, willing to kind of do whatever it took, willing to suffer if necessary. That sounds a lot like Silas. We talked about Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. We see that, um, that, that Titus was someone that was uh, generous and hospitable, a lot like Lydia. And so basically all the verses that I looked at about Titus... They just reminded me of a lot of the characteristics of, of other, other characters we've studied. And so if you have your Bibles, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to just kind of roll through some verses where Paul mentions Titus, and we'll kind of see uh, what, we can, what we can pull from these, from these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13 is one place where he is mentioned. Paul writes, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, 
my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. And so I took leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. You can see that affection that Paul had for Titus. Um, that his spirit um, was not at rest without him, without him there. Over in Second uh, Corinthians 7, verses 5 and 6, Paul writes, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So again, someone that brings a lot of comfort. Over in verse 13, he says, therefore we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you, by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame, but just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater. He has, he, as he remembers the obedience of you all and how you, you received him with fear and trembling. Chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Of his own accord. We'll look at that, we'll come back to that one in a little bit. And then finally, one more over in uh, Paul's letter to Titus, Titus chapter 1. Titus was a pastor by this time. Paul is writing briefly uh, to, to him. And so verses 4 and 5 simply say this, To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. It's clear to me from a reading about Titus, Paul mentions Titus in 2 Corinthians, if I can count right, like nine different times, at least nine different times, Paul mentions Titus. And what's clear to me from reading about Titus is that Titus seems to be someone that Paul relied on quite a bit. He relied on him for comfort, for strength, for joy, for encouragement. He relied on him to do the work of ministry and building up the church when he could not be there. Um, that's the word that I kept coming back to, this idea that Paul really relied on Titus. And it just kind of, as I was thinking about it, I was like, man, even Paul, even someone who a lot of us look at like a spiritual superhero, right? Like Paul's kind of the guy. I mean, you read stories about Paul and it just seems like the guy is like unbreakable sometimes, doesn't it? Like you've all, in Acts, there's a story where literally he is, uh, he's, he's sort of run out of town. He's like drug out of town and they stone him. They stone Paul. Like stoning means they're, they're trying to kill him with rocks. They're just pelting him with rocks. And at one point they think he's dead. So they're like, took care of that problem. And they all leave. And then it says he like regains consciousness. Paul like gets up, dusts himself off and goes right back into town. I mean, it just seems like Paul is like, just this, this guy that's unbreakable. And yet what we find is that Paul, he required others. He relied on others to do a lot of stuff. He relied on others in, in, in a lot of ways. And, and so I thought about this idea of relying on others. And here's what I, I realized. Like some of you, you're okay with, or maybe even good at relying on others. It's kind of your life story. Like you just, 
You're good at it. It doesn't bother you to rely on other people. Other people may rely on you. It's this give and take. It's just life. And you're like, yeah, I rely on other. You have no problem calling, asking for help. But I also know for some of you, you don't ever want to rely on other people. Like some of you are like, if you rely on others, it just, it almost comes across like a weakness, you know? I don't know what it is for some of us. Like there's, we've got this macho gene and I don't just mean guys. This happens for ladies too, where it's like, I don't want to rely on anyone else. I am self-sufficient. I can do it. And, and I think one of the lessons that we, that we learn about in, in looking at these characters is, again, no, it's okay. Like, it's not a design flaw in you when you have to rely on other people. In fact, God created us and designed us to rely on other people. And we see that with the Apostle Paul. So what I wanted to do is just kind of talk through, I, really, it's, it's my own life. Like, when I am forced to rely on other people, it reminds me of my limits. When we are forced to rely on others, we're reminded of our limits. Quite frankly, we're reminded that we're human. You're, relined, you're reminded that you're human, that you can't do it all. And that is not, again, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing, and it's the way God designed us to be. The mission that God has called us to is a really big mission. We're told to build the kingdom of God together. We're told to make disciples of what? All nations. Like, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. And so sometimes, like Austin talked about in our last series, we have this idea that we have to change the world. I got to change the world. And then it's discouraging when we kind of see our limits and realize I can't, I can't change the world. So what I want to do is just talk through a little bit of some of the things we're reminded of, some of our, our limits, if you will, because I think it's important that we know that and learn to rely on others. So when, I, when I'm forced to rely on other people, um, the first thing that I'm reminded of is that, that I have, that we have limited ability. We have limited ability. Now, that shouldn't be a shock to you. Um, it would probably be the height of arrogance to not acknowledge you have limited ability. There is some stuff, no matter how hard you try, you just can't do, right? Um, the analogy that I, that I used in the first service was we're talking about building the kingdom. That seems like a really big thing, but, but maybe we just think of it more like building a house, right? We're just trying to build a house. We're trying to build a house. So how uh, good do you think, like, if you by yourself or, or me by myself, if, if I just tried to go build a house on my own, how good do you think that house is going to get built? Guys, I, I, can't, I can't build anything. <laughs> like, I mean, beyond, like, duct tape, I don't, I don't know how to use stuff, right? I, I can duct tape that thing together, but it's not going to work. It's not going to last. It's, it's not going to get built. That's the reality. And if you try to build a house on your own, my guess is, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work either. It wouldn't, you wouldn't do very well. And I know we have some contractors that go to church here, and I know some of you contractors right now are sitting there going, I could do it, right? But here's the thing, like even contractors, they rely on subs who have expertise in certain areas, right? If you're going to build a house and it's going to last and it's going to be a really good house, you, you need some people that, you know, some concrete guys that know how to lay the foundation the right way. And, and you need some plumbers, you know, because running water is a great thing, right? Uh, you need some electricians that know how to make sure things are wired appropriately. And you need some, some framers. You need some roofers. You need, you need a lot of different people with expertise in different areas to make sure the house is a good house and, 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 it's, and it's functioning and working the way it should work. It's really the same way with building the kingdom of God together, right? It's foolish of us to think that we uh, are responsible for or that we can build the kingdom of God by ourselves. We are woefully inadequate for that. 
And so we've got to remember our limits, that you and I, man, we have limited ability. There's things we can't do, and God hasn't called us to do those things that we can't do. And so we've got to learn to rely on the people God places around us to do those things. We have, uh, set number two is we have limited knowledge. I'm reminded when I have to rely on people, uh, there's a lot of stuff I don't know, right? Here's the thing. Again, this shouldn't come as a shock to you. You don't know everything. I want you to look at the person next to you right now, and I want you to say, you don't know everything. That feels good, doesn't it? Oh, man, some of you, some of you husbands and wives sitting by each other, you're like, I've been waiting to say that. Pastor just gave me permission to tell my wife she doesn't know everything, right? Listen, you don't know everything. Like, we have some unbelievably smart people in the room. Man, some of you are, are man, you've got some just really, really smart, bright people. But, but here's the thing, as much as you know, there's always going to be someone who knows more. Like, you don't, you don't know everything. And so we, we, we've got to learn to rely on each other. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. We make each other better. There's things that I don't know that you know. And so I need to get around you in my life so I can learn some stuff. And you need to get around me. And we need small group. And we need Bible study. We need to sit under preaching and teaching. And, and we, need, we need one another because we don't know everything. And, and relying on other people reminds us of that limit, right? That we don't know everything. Listen, I'm reminded of how much I don't know every time something goes wrong with my computer. Okay? I am the least technical person on staff. And so what happens is a button doesn't work right, something doesn't pull up like it's supposed to, something's wrong with a contraption, a device, anything like that, and I can sit there for hours, literally, trying to figure it out, and I can try everything I know, and you go to this menu, and you do these, whatever, and I can waste so much time trying to fix it. And so what I've learned is, if anything goes wrong on my computer, if I'll just take it to Russell, Russell's our IT guy, um, it's crazy, like, he'll just go, oh, like two buttons and it's fixed. And I'm like, how did you, how did, is there like a manual you're supposed to read to know this stuff? Like, I don't know how that works, but Russell makes me feel dumb. That's what I'm trying to say. Russell makes me feel dumb. It always, I get a little bit of joy if I ever take him something and even he has just a minute, a fraction of not being able to figure it out. There's a part of me that's like, thank you. Like that just makes me, that makes me feel not quite as dumb, right? But that Russell has knowledge about stuff that I just, I just don't know. I don't understand, right? And listen, that's, again, that's the way it works. There are things you know that I do not know. There are things I may know that you may not know. We need one another. We've got to rely on one another because you and I, you know, we have, we have limited knowledge. We have limited capacity. This kind of speaks to time and availability. You can't be in multiple places at the same time. Listen, you and I have, have limited capacity. I, I'm reminded of this uh, every single day when my wife and I, decided we were going to have three kids instead of two. You've probably heard the old analogy, right? Like when you go from two kids to three, you've got to go from kind of man-to-man to a zone defense, right? You've probably heard that before. That is absolutely true. Like, my kids are very social. They're all involved in a lot of stuff. They love sports. Um, they're on teams. They've got practices. They've got other functions. They've got their social uh, friendships and whatnot. And so one thing that I'm reminded of all the time is... Uh, my lack of capacity. Um, one thing my wife said this just this week, we were trying to figure out how to get a certain kid dropped off and picked up and, and we were having to call some friends to help and my wife goes, I, I hate relying on people. And I thought, man, that's the way a lot of people feel. Like we hate relying on others, but when you realize you have limited capacity, we've got to learn to rely 
on other people. Quite frankly, I don't know how single parents do it. If you are a single parent in the room, God bless you. You're amazing. I don't know how you do it. Like in our home, uh, there's times where quite honestly, we have to not make it to one kid's event because we're at the other, the other kid's event. We have to like divide and conquer. And it's not like we, we pick our favorites. We don't do that, right? Sorry, buddy. We just don't like you as much as we like them. It's just, you know, we don't, we don't do that, right? So, but there are times where like, look, there's two of us and three of you. And so today we're going to go to this thing and we're going to miss yours. I'm really sorry. But then next week, hey, we're going to yours and we're going to have to miss theirs. And honestly, if we didn't have people that we relied on to help drop off and pick up and hey, if practice is over and we can't get there, can you get to... Like, we would still have a kid sitting at the ball field right now wondering when mom and dad's going to pick them up, right? It's like, well, I don't know where my parents are. Uh, it, you, we have limited capacity. And so what that means is building the kingdom together, same thing. We are going to have a farther reaching effect and be able to do more and accomplish more, bigger things, better things, be a light in a dark world in, in a far bigger way when we come together, rely on one another. You have capacity that I don't have. I may have capacity you don't have. Um, and so when we're forced to rely on others, listen, it reminds us that, that we, have, we have limited capacity. And again, I know that some feel like, man, I've got to be the difference maker. I've got to be the change the world guy. I've got to charge hell with a water pistol. Like I've got to do all this on my own. And the reality is you have a limited capacity. There's only so much you are going to be able to do, but there's a whole lot that we are going to be able to do, right? We've got to rely on others because we have limited capacity. Um, Number four, I put down that we have limited passion. Um, And I could have used a lot of different words for passion. Like I thought about, you know, we have energy, enthusiasm, motivation, drive. Put whatever word you want to kind of put in there. I thought passion kind of encompassed all of those things. But listen, we, we have limits to those things, right? Like, I know some of you, man, you, you are, are passionate people. And there are times in my life when I need to be around you because your passion level is, is up here and you're on fire for Jesus and on fire for the church and the mission of God. And man, I'm, man there are times where I'm like, I need to get around that person to help kind of bring me up, right? Some of you may be here today and you're like, Man, I'm, I'm way down here. Trial, hardship, pain, disappointment has brought your passion level down here, right? There's only so much, so much passion. I, I'm reminded of the fact that, that our passion level tends to, to wane. I know some of you might have been brought up in church like me, and you were told you should always, always have passion for Jesus. And then you feel guilty when like, there's times when you're like, you don't. You should always be passionate about the mission of God. And then you're like, yeah, some days I just don't feel it. Hmm? It's part of why we got to rely on each other. I'm reminded of the fact that when hardship and things come, our passion level tends to go down. Um, every year um, in regard, like you think about sports fans. How many of you got any sports fans? Some of you are big, big sports people. You have your favorite teams, right? You see this all the time. Like we're about to start college football season. Praise Jesus, right? We're about to, it's about to start. I'm, I'm excited. My wife, not so much, but I'm really excited, right? And every year at the start of college football, what is it? Everybody, your team, whoever your team is, man, you are drinking the Kool-Aid. It is like this year we are undefeated. We're the best. This is going to be the year. We're going we're gonna, to, man, it's, we're going we're gonna to be awesome. And you're passionate. And then watch, like, like three weeks into the season when they lose a game, you're going to be like, that coach ought to be fired. I can't, we're just terrible. I, and, then, and then like all the way at the end of the season, what are you like? 
I, I don't even like college football. I knew this was going to be a rebuilding year the whole time. And your passion level, your passion level just drops. Like with every loss, with every bad thing that happens, you know, you're like just beat down. Listen, it's the same way with building the kingdom of God and doing the things God calls us to do. With every disappointment, every frustration, there are going to be setbacks and trials and pain and heartache. And listen, our passion level doesn't always stay here, does it? Sometimes it drops. And you see that even with the Apostle Paul. Again, most of us are like, the Apostle Paul, that guy's amazing. He was, but if you read his letters, Paul got frustrated. Read 1 Corinthians. He is frustrated at the church. They're not walking obedience. They're, 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 they're just not, not following through. And so Paul needed, sometimes his passion level would, would drop a little bit. We see in just the verses we read a minute ago about Titus, how many times did he say, you brought us comfort, you refreshed my spirit. Paul's going, my passion level was down here and I needed to get around a guy like Titus so that my passion and my joy could be picked up a little bit. That's the way it works in the family of God, isn't it? Sometimes when you're feeling, man, discouraged and beaten down, we need to be around God's people because they have a way of helping bring us back up to where we need to be. You and I have limited passion. I noted 2 Corinthians 8, 16 and 17, one of the verses that we read a while ago. Notice that it says, God put it in Titus's heart, the same care that I had for you. And then he says that he went to you of his own accord, of his own accord, which means Titus didn't just operate and do things because Paul told him to do it and he was checking a box. Okay, Paul. What that means is that, man, Titus had the love and concern and care for the people. And that whether Paul told him to or not, he was going on his own. I love that idea, right? That what motivates us is not some sense of duty or obligation. What motivates us is love and concern and care for people, right? We've said that before. Love leads to obedience. Obedience doesn't always lead to love. Sometimes you can just do things because you have to, but there's no heart in it. So Titus is a really great example of when Paul was feeling beaten down and discouraged, man, I, I, I need Titus. I, I want Titus around because Titus is going to help pick me up. Titus is going to help me regain the love, care, and compassion and, that, that, that I need. And so we're reminded sometimes we just have limited passion. Finally, we have limited influence. We have limited influence. Listen, there are going to be people that will, um, in your circles around you, that God places around you, that will allow you to speak into their life that will not allow me to speak into their life. There's gonna be relationships you have that I do not have. There's gonna be people that, that will listen to you that won't listen to me. You have areas of influence that, that I will never have. And I probably have some areas of influence that you will never have. So again, the idea being that if we are called to build the kingdom of God and make disciples of all nations, there's very, again, you can do all you can and you're gonna have a, a, a limit to what you can do. But listen, in our community where God has placed us, collectively, we can have a lot of influence. And collectively, we can be a, a bright light in a dark world. Whereas if I'm just like by myself trying to shine a little flashlight around, that's, that's gonna be pretty limited, isn't it? We have limited influence. And we gotta realize that, we gotta know that. Collectively, we're gonna have a farther reaching effect than we ever will by ourselves. Here's the big idea uh, this morning. The big idea that really, not just this message, but hopefully the whole series, to kind of just sum it up this way. The kingdom of God is not built individually by spiritual superheroes. It's built collectively by God's people when we learn to rely on him first and foremost and on one another. 
That's how the kingdom of God is built. And again, I don't know kind of your background or upbringing, but I, I'm, a, I'm a church kid. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in church. I grew up hearing all the stories, all the spiritual superheroes in the Bible. I learned about all of them. Abraham, David, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Peter, you know, all the, the apostles, Paul. Like I, I learned about all of them. And, and I, I would often find myself going, well, yeah, I mean, God could use them. They had like bigger faith than I have. They had more ability than I have. I mean, they, they were like spiritual giants. And kind of this idea that, that God can't work through me and all my faults and failures and flaws and sins and struggles and addictions and all my stuff. And, and really, when I, when I read through Scripture in more detail and I read the names of a lot of the guys we have studied this summer, the men and women that we've studied, um, I'm reminded of the fact that, again, the kingdom of God is not built by these spiritual superheroes, and if you read about the lives of a lot of those people, what you'll realize is they really weren't superheroes either. They had a lot of the same faults, flaws, and failures that you and I have. God used them not because of them. God used them in spite of them in a lot of, in a lot of cases, right? That is how the kingdom of God is built, guys. That is, that is how the church works. It's not spiritual giants. It's regular, ordinary people trying their best to be faithful, relying on him, and relying on one another, and again, if we will do that as a church, then the light that we can shine in a dark world will be far greater than all of us trying to do our own thing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for these regular, normal people that you use in some unbelievable and incredible ways. God, I pray that it is a reminder for all of us that you're not waiting on some spiritual superhero to emerge to do your work. But God, you're, you just want to use your church. You just want to use your church full of regular, normal people that will just do their best to, to be faithful. So I pray today, Father, that we would learn, first and foremost, to be dependent and rely on you. And God, secondly, that we would, we would learn to rely on one another. When everything in the world sort of tells us that we can do it by ourselves and, you know, we ought to be strong enough, God, would we just be reminded that you have not called us to rely on ourselves. You've literally built us, you've wired us to rely on other people. It's not a design flaw that we need others. It's the way you've made us. And God, I pray that you would remind us today that, that, that we can have a, a farther reaching effect and shine a brighter light in a dark world when we will rely on one another. So God, I pray that we would remember our limits and that that would not be a negative thing, but in fact, it would be a positive thing. Help us, God, to be a light in a dark world. And pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.